Hello and welcome to the Leaders Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a sunny day here in the capital on a week where we're not quite sure whether a global pandemic or Russian interference poses a greater threat to the UK. Only time will tell on that. I am your host, Scott Challoner, and I'm joined today by Louisa Yannicka as we engage with a new perspective on leadership. Louisa is the owner of Tuffy's Dog Beds Limited, an Aberdeen-based manufacturer and retailer of dog beds. Louisa, very warm welcome to you and thank you ever so much for taking the time to join us on this afternoon's programme. Thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure having you with us. Um, the reason we're here, of course, Louisa, is to establish first and foremost your take on leadership. So if we begin by taking that word leader aside and considering that in a little bit more detail, I'm interested to understand what that word means to you. What is the role of a leader in your eyes? Um, I've started Tuffy's about 20 years ago without any prior uh, experience of being a leader as such, but I had to grow with the role as uh, as well as growing the company. So we manufacture dog beds and sell them directly to the end user, which means that we sort of two pronged um, activity. We we make things and we also have to deal with the whole selling and and branding. And um, as the company grew, I then employed people and saw myself as a leader of people which has been an absolute pleasure on over the years and um, something I, I enjoy very much and um, being a leader I guess is about making the workplace for people um, as enjoyable as possible and I I would I would say we've managed to do that here um, one of the things that someone said, many years ago that I heard and it was if you if you feel when you're in, in your work you have the freedom to decide as much as possible, i.e. you you know, how you work, when you work, um, how you how your office or your workplace is arranged, the the happier you are in your workplace. And that is something I like that I've always tried to pursue as much as possible. So, for example, many of the people who are here, they are all women for some reason. We never have men applying for jobs. So we're all girls. And um, many of, of the people here have started off with having to fit in very few hours around childcare and in, in the school bus. We are a rural company in the north of Scotland, I would just say as well. So the school bus and um, a few hours here and there, and as a workplace and as a leader, I've always tried to fit in with all that. And the result has been that people, and many of the girls I have here, have, have been here you know, 10, 15 years, so we have a very low turnover of staff. So I would say um, providing a good workplace is is a big part of my leadership um mm. the 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 other thing i would say is as a leader for something that is highly branded is um 
I convey what the brand is all about. And I think that's gone really well as well for Tuffy's. The, we make a top quality product. And when you make a top quality product, you can be proud of what you do. If you contrast that to making a, a, a rubbish product and just get it out cheaply, that doesn't provide a, a, a proud workplace. So we make stuff we're very proud of. And that, that pride happens both among the, the workers in the workshop as well as the people in the office because we, you know, we just get positive feedback all the time. And um, that, that, is a, that is a great way to, to, to produce a good workplace, if you like. Mm. it's a great way of course to instill a culture of positivity of course where everybody's sort of pulling together and I think that sort of togetherness is incredibly important when it comes to dealing with crisis in business especially a crisis with the scale of COVID-19 no less now um, you're of course um, a company that's involved in sort of very niche manufacturing and retailing of course um, with dog beds has there been any sort of ways which this pandemic has impacted the likes of yourselves and if so how have you managed to cope with that? So I kept an eye on this I would say also my leadership is of course um um, it, it's all about catching when something is threatening the business. And I was keeping an eye on this from January, February, seeing what was happening in China. And I made the decision very early on to buy heaps of fabrics because although only one of our products, our fabrics, are made in China, only one of them are made there. The rest are made in different parts of the world, mainly in the UK. At the end of the day, there's always a little part of it that will be coming from China. I know one of the products made here, the dyes for the coloring are made in China. And so I made the decision straight away to buy in. We have a good working capital, and I just bought tons of fabric, everything we needed, even down to thread, to make sure we wouldn't get stuck. And then that was sort of a, 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 an early thing. And then, as we all know, what happened in March, um, we before the, the whole stock market, market crash and so on, we were aware of the whole hygiene thing. And we had a big meeting with everyone where hand washing was set in place. And I, again, back to leadership, I said to everybody, I'm not going to stand here with a temperature measuring thermometer and check you. We are all adults. If you're not feeling well in the morning, you give me a ring and you don't come in. And But everybody understands that you might have touched something on the way. So straight away, we made a hand washing um, regime where you actually only just get out of your car, sterilize your hands that, that we provide. And then you go in and wash your hands and then you carry on. And then uh, a constant, actually, there was a sort of, we set up a 15 minutes, um, every 15 minutes, a hand sterilizing regime, which worked really well and, and is still working. And then suddenly everything collapsed. As you know, at the same time, the time where the stock market went down, we, business went down 
very, very quickly. And there was, there was a, from a Thursday to a Friday, quite a bit of panic because that was the Thursday. And then the Friday, Rishi Sunak announced the furlough scheme. And we furloughed some people. And then what happened after that was suddenly business went up. And we have never been so busy at this time of year. We have been extremely busy through, you know, well above um, turnover normally at this time of year. So what do you do then? <laughs> so I ended up, we can't, we couldn't have too many people working because we had to have the social distancing. So I kept as many people furloughed as I could and kept in as many as we needed to um, produce the, the doctors that we had orders for. And people worked very long hours. And for that, I also gave them you know, a, a, a nice bonus. For, for taking up that slack and not just sit at home and be furloughed, but actually coming. We had a, a group who um, just worked really, really long hours and then pulled their, you know, really pushed their sleeves up and, and did a whole lot of stuff. So I think everybody was happy with that. And now slowly we've um, managed to get more and more people in and, and we are sort of, we're still busy, but we're spacing people out in time and space. Mm. And thinking about now the sort of next few months, given that we are going to have to adapt to a new normal, Louisa, we all know that. Um, what do you think is next over the course of the next sort of 12 to 18 months for you and for Tuffy's Dog Beds as a business? And what do you really hope to achieve during this time as we adjust to these challenges? Um. Of course, there's still the the threat of a big, big recession, and um, that that we just have to keep in mind. Not we're still busier than than normal for this time of year, and looking into the future, yeah, you just got to be prepared for what may happen. But I think when we've gained a huge amount of you know, new customers and. I think with a with a product that lasts, um, I think we are quite okay because I I would like to think that in the future people are doing less um, buy and throw away consumption. They will be more interested in buying something that lasts, and therefore they will be wanting to go and buy a tuffy dog bed. So I don't see us being hit much by recession, but of course it is a considered purchase because it is, we, are, we are top quality um, and we are fairly expensive dog beds. So it's something we prepare for, but as I said, I think people will be going more in for buying long-lasting products, not something you put in the wheelie bin after a short period, you know, our dog beds last years, and I think that fits in very well with the ethos of the future. 
I can see exactly where you're coming from from that point of view, Louisa. Um, I have to say, it's a shame we're just about out of time on the uh, the program today because it's been really informative hearing your experience of the uh, the pandemic as well as your take on leadership. Um, and you know, given just how insightful it's been, I actually think it would be wonderful to catch up in future and have you back on the program with us just to see how things are in a few months' time and just how the business is adapting because we can only speculate on what the future is going to bring. There are a lot of variables, including the recession the direction that the pandemic is going to go in so it might be another useful thing to actually look back when the time comes and just assess what has happened and where we need to go from there yes you'd be very welcome it would be great to catch up again i i would say one one thing that can i mention one more thing that is a threat to the future that is the independence of scotland that would be an absolute disaster um we, we would really suffer from that. And that is maybe something to discuss in the future. Hopefully not as a reality. <laughs> mm, certainly um, a question mark um, over um, exactly that issue. And of course, that will be something um, to discuss um, at another time, I'm sure. Um, Louisa, thank you ever so much for your time again and taking the time to join us this afternoon. And most importantly, until we do hopefully speak again in future, please do take care and stay safe with all still going on. Yes, you too. It's lovely to speak to you. I was speaking today to Louisa Yannicka, owner of Tuffy's Dog Beds Limited in Aberdeen. And to all those tuning in and listening this afternoon, please do look after yourselves and continue to be sensible with the lifting of lockdown restrictions because it does make a real difference in keeping people safe and saving lives. Coming up next on today's programme, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with Liz Field, the Chief Executive of the Personal Investment Management and Financial Advice Association, otherwise known as the Trade body for firms who provide such services to individuals and families. I hope that you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking with Liz and all of that is of course coming up next. I'm Jonathan White and we're joined today by Liz Field, CEO of PIMFA, Personal Investment Management and Financial Advice Association. What a great mouthful. Liz, thank you very much for coming on today. No, thank you for inviting me. No, not a problem. A complete pleasure. And I think uh, it would be a great place to start, if we may. There's maybe a little bit of background uh, for the listeners. Obviously, PIMFA does work in, uh, uh, across the board these days, but of course it was only founded uh, uh, three years ago when, of course, um, MAPFA and uh, the WMA were merged. That's right, yes. Um, I think it really was a, a reflection of of where the industry was going in terms of uh, the provision of financial advice and helping individuals with their um, personal financial futures that we felt that it was necessary for the two bodies to merge together. Um, But both, well, certainly the Wealth Management Association and its predecessors have been around for nearly 30 years now, actually. But you're quite right. Um, As PIMFA, it's it's been nearly three years now. And the... uh Probably a very wise move because uh, the the uh, uh, has been going from strength to strength uh, since. Uh, what would you say at the moment? Uh, is are, are the priorities uh, for yourselves there? Um, I think there are a number of priorities. I mean, we represent a diverse group of um, of businesses which all have 
one thing in common, which is that they face the clients, they they face the consumer. Um, so whether that is face to face or whether that is um, online, uh, it's all about helping individuals to plan and save and invest um, for themselves and for their families. Uh, but we're going through uh, a number of, of key challenges. I mean, um, looking at a, a, I could have a, a macro level, if you like, um, markets are a little turbulent. Um, it's, it's very challenging um, to... Um, kind of navigate the the uh, investment management world so uh, even more reason why you need a financial advisor and uh, and an investment management firm to help you um, because it is quite a complex arena and that's not helped by the lack of financial education uh, more generally so um, if you have that as a backdrop uh, and then politically you have what's going on um, with post brexit uh, and where the rules are going to come from in future, all of that is still to be negotiated. Um, so it, it's a whole melting pot of issues that uh, that our firms are trying to face. Oh, without a doubt. I think uh, it maybe Lizzie, there's quite a few understatements there in terms of the challenges that are yes. uh, occurring <laughs> at the moment. But there's quite a lot to pick up uh, uh, on the on those points because uh, I, I think it's, 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 a, it's a unique time almost, Liz, isn't it, where there are a different set of challenges that advisors and individuals are uh, being confronted with from a lot of different angles. Um, and perhaps if we can start, let's start at the beginning, in fact, you bring up the issue of financial education. Yeah. Now, that's something I think uh, you can talk to anybody in the business and they'd agree with you on that front, Liz. We don't do it properly in this country. Where no. do you think, Liz, it should start from and how do we fix it? Okay, so I think, I mean, the first thing to say is that there's a lot of fantastic effort that we see across the whole of the financial services sector, uh, our sector um, amongst that, where they they try and go into schools um, and provide financial education. You go onto any website um, of some of our members and they've got some great educational material. Um, but there isn't a national framework that 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 wraps itself around the whole of the financial education efforts within our industry. And without that, um, I think they're, they're the, the businesses are facing a lot of um, barriers when it comes to actually getting into schools. Um, I mean, financial education is part of the, um, per, I think it's personal health and social education um, a piece of the curriculum, but there isn't an exam um, that's at the end of it. So when it comes to schools and, and how they're being judged, it's on metrics such as um, exams and without an exam for financial education, um, I think uh, it's go it's just it's just going to keep coming up against the same barriers. Mm. Um, and financial education is not the same as maths. So uh, what we'd also quite like to see is is that we have more um, kind of money type questions within the maths curriculum, because that will also then bring it to life uh, for young people, for uh, youngsters and you know school kids. It will bring it to life because it's about things that they have to deal with or, you know, that they 
they deal with on a day-to-day basis, which is money. So the more that we have that is populated in the curriculum that is about money, um, the better, I think, because that then we'll start to promote a culture of, of savings and investments, which we so badly need in our in in in, in our um, in our country. Without a doubt, Liz, because and again, you've hit the nail on the head. Because there's only so much that can be done without the involvement of the curriculum in schools. Yeah, uh, and you know, you can, as you've pointed out very well, uh, companies can try all they all they might, but it's difficult if it's not a, a joint effort. Uh, And I think as, um, uh, for example, uh, with with the new government we have, there have already been positive noises at the very least, whether they become actions is another (laughs) thing entirely, regarding what you could consider a a, a, a far more applied mathematics in in a lot of... uh, uh, the system, but ty- time will tell, and that's something I think we could probably dedicate in the next hour to. Elizabeth. Yes, I think you're right. <laughs> we probably shouldn't. Um, now, looking at and a couple of the points to pick up that you've already raised here, Liz, uh, and it goes back to the word you've already said, which is uncertainty. Uh, it, it seemed as if the markets, investors, people, we've been in a state of limbo for the last three and a half years. Uh, we're talking, of course, three months after, two months after uh, a general election that resulted in a, a large majority with the Conservative Party, and therefore at least we have now uh, uh, left the European Union without without dragging you down the political rabbit hole here, at least. Is there a hope now that because of that clarity, we may start to see a far more s- far more certainty in the market? And what are your hopes for the next twelve months? Um, I think I think that, that we've still got a little way to go because um, whilst you know, thirty first of January came and went, um, you know, we're now we're now in a negotiation period. We're now in a transition period, um, and for for UK um, savers and uh, and investors, uh, in terms of where the rules are made, there's still there's still not some clarity about that. Um, you know, we're we're still uh, well, we don't know yet whether we're still tied um, or will be tied to the um, European rulemaking um, down the line. That's still to be negotiated. I mean, we've always said that actually for for savers and investors, we need stability in the markets and we need access to funds. Um, however, it, you know the, the majority of our of our firms look after UK savers, um, and therefore, a one of the positives we see is the ability to have a a rule book that makes sense for UK savers and investors and UK firms. Um, so there's an uh, we think that there's an opportunity there with definitely without um, watering down regulation. So we're definitely not talking about less regulation. What we're talking about is smarter regulation, which makes sense for firms and makes sense for clients. Um, and as we've got a very unique industry in terms of savings and investments um, um, in, Euro- in Europe, England, or U- the UK rather, and and Ireland are unique amongst our European counterparties. So when you have a European rule book or a rule book that is set in Europe that doesn't bear any relation to the model 
of intermediation that we have here that has caused us problems in the past and we're hoping that we're, we will be able to affect that in the future with a local regulator and a local rule and a local rulemaker. But we will see. That is still all part of the of the melting pot. So whilst I'd like to be posit- positive and, and optimistic about the market, <laughs> um, we've still got this period um, of uh, of negotiation and uh, until we see where we go to with that. Uh, and of course, you've got financial services and fisheries amongst yeah, the same two, piece, you know. <laughs> famous fellows, aren't they? Indeed, I mean, absolutely, um, absolutely. So we've still got to wait and see, I think. It, absolutely. Um, and it will be an uh, interesting year, num- if nothing else. Um, yeah. uh, now, you, you, you mentioned there, at least uh, the role of, uh, of course, regulators. I know uh, in the last month or so, obviously, uh, uh, PIMFA has. Uh, given its fair amount of critique to um, the FCA, um, are they at the moment doing their job correctly? Um, I think part, I I don't envy the regulator one iota. Um, uh, I think if you look at the the number of people that they have in the supervisory team and the number of firms that they have to regulate, um, it, it, it is not an enviable job um, by any stretch of the imagination. Yes, we have been critical, not least of all because we are expecting um, better supervision to prevent firms from failing and certainly to prevent firms from failing in the spectacular way that they have uh, in the last few years, which has impacted on the size of the financial services compensation scheme levy. And this levy is paid for by by firms within the industry. And our firms are a majority of small to medium-sized firms, and their bills have gone up exponentially. Our criticism is that, you know, we we don't object to having an FSCS levy um, or, you know, the lifeboat yes. funds to pay, you know, recompense to to consumers. Uh, and, and our view is has always been that the polluter pays. But the polluters have, have long since folded by the time mm. it comes to any payment, which means that good firms are paying for bad firms. So the system, we believe, is broken. Um, and, and I think that is about the regulatory perimeter. Um, you know, what is it that the, that the lifeboat fund should be protecting? The perimeter is too big. So that, you know, what is the nature of risk? That all needs to be um, uh, redefined, we believe, and recalibrated, which then enables you to determine well, if that's what risk is, then how do we protect it and how do we levy for it? Mm. Um, and that is all linked to better supervision. So that is something we have been critical about. Um, we're in the process of finalizing a paper uh, which we um, which we have positioned in a constructive manner, which is these are some of the things that we believe FCA, you should be looking at in your supervisory process, and we want to help you to do your job better. Now, I I know there's no such thing as a a magic wand, Liz, and perhaps it'll be putting you on the spot. <laughs> but if let's imagine, let's let's imagine you did have one just for the just for this afternoon, perhaps, and you were able to change one thing about that uh, system, 
and perhaps I shouldn't ask this because if your report isn't out yet, you might well not want to reveal something that's in it. Um, but if you could, um, what, what would be your number one priority? If we, if we were to, if I were, my number one priority to, to solve the system. In terms of reform. In terms of reform, what regulatory yeah, reform, yes. you mean? Um, I think, oh, goodness me, the one thing. Um, it is a bit of a mean I, question. Uh, it <laughs> is. Gosh, yes. Wow. Um, I, I think it's about the regulatory perimeter. Sure. Um, I, I think let's have a look at the regulatory perimeter, um, which is, you know, gives some certainty to to clients about what is protected and what is not protected, which also then gives some assurity both to them and also to the advisors who have to advise those clients on what what's the pathway to success for them. And what and and I think if there's some clarity around all of that, then everybody will be will be better off. Great. Now I'm conscious of the time here, Liz. It's already catching up with us. So perhaps if we can take a a little step back and uh, and look at um. Uh, the operations of PIMFOR again, it's what PIMFOR do, does so well is its ability to build relationships with so many uh, different uh, organisations. Can that really, Liz, be underestimated, the importance of having those working relationships with, with the departments and the organisations that you do have? No, I don't. I, I think it's absolutely fundamental um, to any business, actually. But it's certainly something that that we have in the middle of the stick of rock that is PIMFA. Uh, I mean, we talk about the, you know the values that we have as an organisation. We we are a small organisation, uh, and we can't do our job unless we work in partnership and collaboration with others. So, relationship building. Um, and maintaining and creating a good foundation of relationships is absolutely fundamental to what we do. Without a doubt. And I, I think that's the key point, Liz, isn't it, that that's so applicable to any realm, whether it's business or, or politics or uh, any areas of life. And I think and because of the time here, we, we, I, I must start to wrap up. But um, perhaps I can ask, Liz, looking forward, and I know the next 12 months is full of uncertainty, what are uh, the plans PIMFA has for it nonetheless? Um, so I think our, well, our key priority this, this next 12 months is, is, is to be talking um, much more, um, and we, we, we have been lobbying um, a fair bit on this, but because of Brexit, um, our ability to actually kind of get into, um, see the policymakers on both sides, I think, to have that dialogue has been a challenge. Um, but we're finding that that is changing. They, you know, they, they want to hear from us. So I think our priority is around that regulatory perimeter. Um, and what does what does regulation look like for uh, for us moving forward? But at the same time, it's not just about the future of regulation, but it's also about the future of supervision, because the two of those go hand in hand. Um, so those those two um, are kind of what are, are the main the main areas over the course of this next year. Having said that, um, you know, we have a manifesto that's got six that's got six pillars in it. Um and regulation and supervision and the future of that is is just um kind of is just one of those things. There are a whole host of another of other things. Promoting the sector, 
as a as a force for good and as an integral part of a of an individual's kit bag um, for financial and mental well being uh, is is another key strand of, of activity. So I think future regulation, future supervision, and then promoting the sector as an integral part of uh, of um, everybody's kit bag in building their personal financial futures. Well, Liz, there might never be a, a more important year. Uh, or has not been in a while that will determine the future of all of those things and perhaps never a year where so many people pay attention to what happens to Britain's fish stocks um, but it's been <laughs> an absolute pleasure discussing that uh, leadership with you today uh, I hope very much we can sit down perhaps later this year uh, when there's a bit more clarity perhaps and talk through a few more things Thank you, I would love to do that Liz, Thank you very much Thank you This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Chaloner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.